We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky coming to you from Northfield, Minnesota. And this is Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark coming to you from further south, uh, Ascension Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking, if anyone listened last week and didn't know what they were listening to, (laughs) because I I think I forgot to mention that this is wrestling with the basics. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> probably no one was confused. They probably knew. But yeah, when they, they didn't. When, yeah, when we when you start talking about, you know, men, you know, uh, not being able to put on their clothes right and <laughs> That's right. they probably were cued in that yeah, if I'm listening to KFUO and they're talking about <laughs> putting on underwear inside out, it's probably resting with the basics. <laughs> well well since you since you did bring up last week's antidote. I was I was not sure what I wanted to do for the introduction here, but it does remind me of a, of a joke I heard years and years ago about the football coach, right? He was getting his football team, and, and, and he had them write on their socks, TGIF, TGIF. You have any idea why he would have his team write TGIF? TGIF. I don't know. Thank God it's Friday as well. I know. Yeah. What, what, did, what did the coach want him to, to- remember? Toes, toes go in first. <laughs> so that's a bunch of guys what do you expect that's a bunch of guys absolutely so there again <laughs> yeah lynn lynn would be quick to remind us that women do not have that on their side they do not, not need that that's what she'd say they do not need that, need that. on their socks all right man we are doing the summer of psalms and i'm so glad this is this was matt's uh, the series for and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that to us here on, on wrestling with the basics uh, we, we got through Psalm number one. It sounds like it's about Pharisees, but no, no, the righteousness that Psalm one talks about isn't about the guys who think they are so good that they stand up in the congregation. No, it's about sinners who know they're sinners and yet who do want to study the word of God because they know in that word they have the message that God loves and forgives sinners and they in turn then seek to uh, uh, love and to care. Uh, but now we got a whole different psalm. You said this. This is a different. That, that was a. What was that psalm one again, Matt? What, what psalm, of wisdom, wisdom. A psalm of wisdom. Psalm of wisdom. That is wisdom, isn't it? Know that Jesus is our righteousness. So what psalm have we got now? So today we're going to look at a psalm of the Messiah, a messianic psalm. Okay. There's a number of them. Um, like you said, John, we we understand the psalms in light of the New Testament. How blessed we are to have the New Testament too, right? Um, so this is a psalm of the Messiah. We're going to look at Psalm 2 as one of those psalms of the Messiah. So this is sort of an example of what a psalm of the Messiah looks like. So I think for the, the first half, you know, <laughs> if this, this is the plan. We'll see if it works out. For the first half of the episode, okay. we'll look at, well, just what, what does that even mean to be Messiah? And what is a psalm of the Messiah, right, in general? Okay. Then the second half, hopefully we can look at Psalm 2 in particular and what Psalm 2 is telling us, revealing to us about the Messiah. Okay. And that's good because, like you said, there are many, many 
messianic psalm, so maybe yes. it's important to just understand, well, what, yeah. what does that even mean? All right, so what does it mean, Matt? All right, well, we're going to start with... Uh... <laughs> I'm going to start with um, asking you about the coronation of King Charles, <laughs> which might sound odd, but, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get a, we'll, Did you watch the coronation? No, John? no, I didn't. I know nothing about it. You didn't get up it. like at three in the morning or no, whatever it was to watch it live. Not. Sorry. Sorry. So right. if you're going to ask me questions about the coronation of King Charles, this is going to be a really slow episode. <laughs> so I'll be a lot of duh. Well, I'll give you a quick recap. All right, okay. John. So, yeah, King Charles III coronated, of course, in, in Westminster Abbey, uh, the setting of every British coronation, apparently since 1066. I mean, oh, that's wow. incredible. Wow. Um, you know, people got to see him crowned with a jeweled crown, seated in King Edward's chair, which dates back to about 1300. All the vestments, the pomp and the circumstance, lots to see. Oh, my yeah, goodness. We, yeah. had, so we, had, we had a few people to send that really got into it and enjoyed, enjoyed watching it. But there's one thing uh, that you did not see, whether you're watching on TV, whether you were there in person, even you didn't get to see it. Do you know what people did not see, John? So this is the behind the scenes, behind the scene. Well, literally behind the scenes. Um, They didn't see his actual anointing. They didn't. You're kidding me. So they actually anoint him. They do anoint him. And I so at one point during the ceremony, there's this beautiful tapestry like screen that was put up around King Charles um, so that no one could see it. It was out of view again for those on TV, for those live. And that's when they anointed him. No one could see it. Um, So they anointed him with oil on his head, on his chest, on his hands. And that was part of being the new king. So why so, why why don't they want people to see that? that well, that's like a that. good question. Yeah, okay. Queen Elizabeth, same deal. Well, um, now I can was, see Queen Elizabeth because when you went to the anointing of the chest, that would just get embarrassing. I suppose. I, but, but you know, and that was the first televised uh, British, uh, I believe, the first televised British, you know, uh, coronation was Queen yeah. Elizabeth. So you know, she was on TV, so she had this block. Uh, Charles did the same thing, and I, you know, I'm thinking, you know. It's special, right? This anointing okay. is special. And when you think about it, when you think about all the pomp and circumstance, you think of Westminster Abbey, almost a thousand years old, and about this, the, the King Edward's chair, you know, back to the 1300s. Yeah. The, the most ancient part of the ceremony, though, was the actual anointing. Because anointing goes back to, to Old Testament times. It even sure. has biblical roots. Um, and we see that then well, in the Messianic Psalms. Because um, what does the word Messiah mean? It means the anointed one. Yeah. I know that much. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what it means. Anointed or anointed one. That's the, uh, the, the Hebrew word for anointing. And the word Christ, same deal, right, John? Yes. Yeah. It's just um, a that, different language. Yeah, yeah. That's its Greek counterpart. Yeah. Um, the word Christ means anointed, anointed one. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, the Christ is really sort of his title. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. So anointed, Messiah, Christ, those are all words that are synonymous, right? They all mean the same thing. They all means anointed. And so, and, and I had no idea, Matt, that that tradition is carried on in the royalty in English. Yeah, isn't it interesting? Yeah. Now, now the, the difference is, you know, with these Messianic Psalms, we're going to be talking about the, the Lord's anointed, right? Yes. So this is this is God's divinely appointed man for the job, well, no, for that no, office. No, 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 let me interrupt you because, I mean, that's what they would think too, right? 
that, that they, the, the king is actually appointed by God. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and I and I think and I think there's some truth to that too yeah. when we think about the fourth commandment and the authorities that God has put into place. We think about um, Romans 13 that talks about the authorities, and yeah, yeah, there is truth to that. That yeah, God is the one that establishes any earthly ruler, whether they realize it or not, right? Um, but yet there's a there there's a special messianic type anointing where it's really you know handpicked by God. And and we'll see that we'll see that in Psalm okay. two. We'll see that in Psalm two. You know, not only handpicked by God, but also this anointing of a king whose reign rule lasts forever. You know, and that yeah. that's the big difference too. That but, is but the yeah. big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Saint Elizabeth was queen for ages. Oh my goodness! But, yeah, but not anymore. Not anymore. That's right. So yeah, Psalm two. Um, it's it's attributed to. To David, and some scholars have many scholars have speculated that maybe it is talking about his coronation. His okay, what was was sung celebrated his coronation, but yet David was anointed wrong before his coronation, long before he was crowned as king. Um, so we go all the way back to First Samuel chapter sixteen. That is where David is anointed, and you might remember that account, John, where Samuel. Uh, the prophet fills his horn with oil. He's sent to the house of, of Jesse from Bethlehem, and he's going to anoint one of his sons as king. And his seven sons all parade in front of Samuel, and, you know, from the oldest on down, and, you know, God doesn't pick any of them. And then finally, we see who God does pick. So if we could, why don't we read those verses in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and let's look specifically at... Um, Let's see. Let's start with uh, verse um, verse uh, six. John, can you can you could you read that for us? Yeah, give me a second here because I got to look it up and I don't want to get any paper cuts. Okay, yeah, no problem. Take your time. Be careful. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, use the proper <laughs> proper precautions. Well, you know, um, Matt, maybe have you got it? <laughs> yeah, because, sure. Yeah, okay, there's no yeah. danger of paper cuts. I'm trying to put it into my stupid computer, and no. my computer all of a sudden the keyboard doesn't work. No sweat. No sweat. So <laughs> okay. First Samuel, Sorry, man. I've got it right here. First Samuel 16. Right. We're gonna verse, right. start with verse 10, actually. Um, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, uh, The Lord has not chosen these. Uh, then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send again him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So here we have this, this anointing, David's anointing. I think it's kind of funny. David comes in almost as an afterthought of his dad, yep, Jesse. Yep. <laughs> but yet this is God's man for the job, and the Lord um, chooses David for this special position. He is anointed, and he will eventually then become king. But I think that's interesting. Anointed and then the Spirit of the Lord even rushing upon David there at his anointing. So uh, David anointed there to be king of Israel. Um, you know, it's not quite as impressive probably as Westminster Abbey. <laughs> David comes in from the field. <laughs> Some probably, guy's front room. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Reeking of sheep. You know, with his brothers right. who are probably resentful that, you know, this younger brother is anointed as the future king. 
Uh, but you know, David's anointing is no less important than King Charles' anointing. In fact, it's even more important, vastly more important, because this, this promise is made to David, and we see this unfold then in, later in, in 1 Samuel, that David's kingdom would be established, like we said, For, John, forever. Forever. Right? forever. forever. I, I got the verse. Uh, it says that his, he will be enthroned as king forever. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's huge. And yeah, and you know, we we think of David. Wow, his family did have a long run. We think of oh yeah him, and then the kings of Judah. We think of guys like Solomon and Hezekiah and Josiah. I mean, yeah, his 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 reign it did it lasted a long time. It lasted for generations, hundreds of years. But uh, David, and then each one of those anointed ones after him, all point ahead to, of course. The anointed one that points ahead to Jesus, the son of David. He is the Messiah of Messiahs, the Christ of Christ, the anointed one of anointed ones, right? And it's so through this greatest descendant, through Jesus, that David's kingdom is established forever. Uh, And that's so important to to, to keep in mind. Well, because the, the, the physical, the earthly kingdom, the dynasty of David, that does come to an end. You know, there, there's another dynasty that comes over uh, in the days of Jesus. You know, that's a different group that, but but yes, the kingdom, uh, and, and of course the Bible makes a big deal out of the fact that Jesus can trace, trace his ancestry back to David. And, and both Luke and in Matthew, uh, that point is made. So yeah, there there's the, in fact, that's that's the finality, isn't it? You don't need another king after Jesus because Jesus is the king that does live eternally every other king would have to be replaced in order for that prophecy to come true and take a jesus who actually raises from the dead so yes oh yeah i mean he still rules and reigns he's still the anointed one even even now and forevermore isn't that beautiful exactly and and we see even jesus you know he's anointed you know again not not anointed in the same way as as a king you know in westminster abbey not even anointed in the same way as david right with oil but you know, if we're looking for Jesus' anointing, I think we look to uh, the Jordan River, really. Um, yeah. We look to Jesus' baptism, uh, where there, boy, Jesus is set apart again by his Father for this special job. This is my son. Listen to him. Um, he is the Christ. He is the chosen one. And then Jesus' ministry unfolds, and he does things that maybe don't look that regal or royal, right, throughout his ministry, you know, when he hangs out with the least and the, the lowly and he washes disciples' feet. And then finally, of course, on the cross, he doesn't wear a jeweled crown. He wears a crown of thorns. But yet well, well, he's fulfilling his job as, as Messiah, and, the anointed and, and, one. And, you know, see, the thing is, man, if you think about it, you know right away this isn't your ordinary king. Yeah. Because he's not, he's not anointed in, in uh, Westminster Abbey. Uh, he's not separated off with with uh, uh, screens so that people can't see him. Yep. In fact, I, I think the striking thing is he, he's amongst the he's amongst the sinners. You know, he's down there in the dirty water with all the rest of the sinners when he gets anointed. Uh, so you don't well. This is a whole different kind of king because he doesn't want to separate himself. But like you say, he he freely associates with the lowest. Uh, the, the people that that more refined people wouldn't have anything to do with. Yes. In fact, they didn't. You know, the Pharisees, oh, we're not going to get into the water with all those sinners. But Jesus, that's where he gets his anointing as king, which is very, very significant, I think. Yeah. 
Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I mean, you know, even, you know, even King Charles, he's probably not going to go hang on the house no. of a tax collector or or be <laughs> allowed to, you know, be in the, the company of a pro- known prostitute. Oh, right? that's for sure. Um, he's not going to do that. But yeah. yet, Jesus, right? The anointed one of anointed ones. That's exactly what he does. You know, thanks be to God that that's the kind of Messiah that we have uh, in Jesus Christ. So that, that's Messiah. Okay, so that's in okay. general, that's Messiah, right? Um, and so anytime we read a Messianic psalm, yeah, we're, we're thinking of guys like David, especially Psalm 2, and maybe even spoken his coronation. He's the Lord's anointed. He's, he's a Messiah It's with a small M, I guess you could say. Uh, but we also read these psalms with the greater Messiah in mind, too. Uh, we read these psalms with, the, with Jesus in mind, right? The, the anointed yes. one, the yes. Christ. Uh, so I think that's, that's an important thing to, to, to recognize with Psalm 2 or any of those psalms of the Messiah. And Matt, Matt can I just make a quick comment, too, before sure. we get into Psalm 2? You bet. I, I find it interesting because we think of the psalms as David. He's, he's the chief guy. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm struck by the fact, uh, and, and like you said, uh, people speculate that Psalm 2 could have been a, a, uh, a coronation psalm for David. And yet it's interesting that in the text it doesn't say that. You know, elsewhere it says this is a uh, psalm of David. But I think it's interesting that the book of Psalms begins with two psalms that we don't know the name of the author. And I, I think that's, I think they're saying, hey, look at this. This isn't David we're talking about. No, this is this is the word of God we have here. So we're going to start with two psalms and we really don't know who wrote them because we know where they come from. They come from the Holy Spirit. And that's the important thing. Not that they came from David, but that they came from the spirit. So anyway, that thought yeah, just crossed yeah, my mind. For yeah. sure. So so Psalm 2 is kind of an interesting deal because so in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4, um, it, it, it quotes Psalm 2 and then it, it really ascribes it to David. You know, it says, you know, day as David writes, right? Um, so um, so perhaps David wrote Psalm 2 or, you know, someone said, well, that's just saying that well, maybe that was just kind of speaking of the Psalms in general, that David mm, wrote yeah. many of the Psalms. And so, yeah, like David says in Psalm 2. So we're not positive. There's not a, a little superscription under the title about who wrote Psalm 2, but uh, perhaps it was David. You could, right? I think you can make well, a case for it. But again, And I think we could make the case that obviously that was the tradition. Mm-hmm, and if mm-hmm. they said that in the book of Acts, I, I think rather than say it's talking about all the Psalms, I think that probably was the tradition. That, and and it, it seems like a thing that David could have written. Yeah, so and that's fine. That's a, yeah, that's a yeah. good tradition, yeah. Yeah, but but ultimately, it's God, and yeah. that's that's really all that matters. So yeah. <laughs> thanks be to God. So so looking at Psalm 2 a little more closely then as this example of a, a messianic psalm. So Psalm 2, it kind of, it begins with sort of a power struggle, this dispute over power in the opening verses. If we're going to be talking about kings, if we're going to be talking about anointings, all of a sudden now there's this power dispute. So John, if you're there in Psalm 2, if you want to read verses 1 that, through That three. I have. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, Great. that was up. <laughs> so, uh, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Yeah. You know, and, and we see power struggles in our world today, too, right? We uh, People threatening war constantly, whether it's North Korea or what's going on in Ukraine, and, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, but but here in Psalm 2, we, we see that, but also we see, you know, kind of everything split into just two sides. You know, yes. kind of like Psalm 1 in a way, right, John? Yeah. These yeah. two different sides. 
Um, the one side are the rulers and the kings, in this case, in Psalm 2. And on the other side is, well, is the Lord, right? And, and his anointed. Um, so you, really, you kind of have the kingdoms of the world versus the, the kingdom of God. And, and rulers, authorities, you know, the, the nations raging and plotting, uh, they, they may act like they're in control, right? That they're, they're, they're the sovereigns. But whether they realize it or not, they are subject to another God, to, to the God, the only God, uh, the only king, uh, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to, to, to God himself, uh, whether they see it or not. Um, so I, I think that's interesting to, to see here, you know, this two-part division here between, yeah, the kings of the world and the kingdoms of, and the, and the kingdom of God, right? That's over all in all. Um, so, you know, when, when the kingdoms of the world, when governments of the world, when they, have, when they have laws and they have policies that go against God's will then, against God's anointed, you know, that's, that's wrong. They're rebelling against God. And, and for us as citizens, when we, when we maybe look to the kings and the rulers of this world as the finer authority and, and what they say is always right, even if it goes against God's will, boy, then we're rebelling against God and rebelling against his authority. So you have this, this, this rebellion against God that's bubbling up in the first few verses of Psalm chapter 2. And, and I never thought about it before, but, but maybe there's a relationship then between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Because like you say, we already have a division mm-hmm. in Psalm 1 mm-hmm. between the wicked and the righteous. And, and so maybe Psalm 2 is clarifying. Say, so here's what the division is. It, it depends on how you feel about the anointed one. That's, that's really the essence of the division. What makes a wicked person wicked is because, like it says here, they are against the Lord and against his anointed. And what makes a person truly righteous then is, are those that have faith in the Lord and faith in his anointed. I never yeah. thought about those two psalms, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's other. a good point, yeah. John. I mean, really, you see a big parallels here, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. In in verse 4, though, you know, the, the nations then, yeah, they're trying to, to you know, uh, set themselves and taking counsel against the Lord, against his anointed, right? Um, rebelling against God. What is God's reaction? We see it there in, in verse 4, if you could read that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord, uh, is that Yahweh? It isn't, is it? That, that's Adonai, I'm sorry. Yeah. So that is literally like the leader, the boss, the president, yeah. the king, uh, holds them in derision. Uh, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Yeah. Okay, well, good, good. So, you know, God's reaction, the one who reigns in heaven, he laughs. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I mean, we've we got to give this glimpse into God's heavenly throne room. And as, as the nation and the kings and those who are great and mighty rebel against him, he, he laughs. Uh, he laughs at those who have tricked themselves to thinking that they are in control. Um, because they pose no threat to him, right? I mean, well, well, man, he's the one that put them in the position. Yeah, Isn't that what Romans yeah. says? No yep. one rules except by the authority of God. So they wouldn't even... Well, and David says that to Pilate. You wouldn't be here, right? Yeah. If if God hadn't set you up. <laughs> exactly. If he had put you in this position. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he's the one in control. He's the one over all the kings and the authorities. The... Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at our time, John. We're going to have to maybe, uh, you know, finish up next week just a little okay. bit. But, but I wanted people, so people in the, in the meantime, if you get a chance to do this, um, 
back to King Charles, all right, and his okay. ordination, his, not his ordination, his coronation. Um, he, there was a code name for his coronation, and the code name for it was Golden Orb. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So Google Golden Orb, and what you're going to see is um, images of that ball, so that golden orb, that ball uh, that's given to the king, right, at a coronation. Yes. And what's on top of the golden orb, John? Do you know? A cross, man. A cross. I bet you there's yeah, a cross. A cross. Yeah. So the, the golden orb represents the world, right? The yeah. cross on top, well, that's that's Christ. So whether you know whether Charles realizes it or not, I don't know. But originally that's a symbol for guess who rules and reigns over all things? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. And so I that's I think what Psalm two is pointing us to that. You know, the, the Messiah, the King of heaven and earth, he rules and reigns over all things. Thanks be to God. And this has been Wrestling with the Basics.